Well, good morning. If you're uh, visiting with us, just so you know, we are in the middle of a, a series L4. And uh, I'm guessing that most of y'all have lives to live, so you're kind of thinking, oh, are we in this series? Even if you've been on a regular basis, you're not sure what's going on, so let me remind you. And this really comes down, I mean, it's a goofy name for a, a series, but it really comes down to this. We recognize that our decisions determine our destiny. Uh, what we do today will determine where we end up tomorrow. It just will. And at the beginning of 2014, wanting to end up where Christ might want us to end up, it's a good thing that we, we ask this question, what is the church all about? And so we go to Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus' very last words to his disciples. And the line right before here, we don't have on the screen, Jesus is talking to them and he says, all authority is given to me under heaven and earth. In other words, I'm in charge. Listen to me. I'm telling you, this is what you got to do. Go and make disciples. The way we say it here at First Alliance Church, our vision is to transform Erie by introducing people to a transformational relationship with Jesus. We want to have some sort of impact on our community, hopefully not a negative one. We want, if, if, if we were just plucked up out of this place, would Erie be any better or worse? It really doesn't matter if First Alliance Church is here or not. We want to transform Erie, not first by political stuff or social stuff, but by spiritual stuff, by introducing people to a transforming relationship with, with Jesus. And so we look at that word Jesus called us to make disciples. Well, what is a disciple? Well, easy enough. The word just means follower. It means to follow. And so you got a test here for whether or not you're a disciple or if anyone is a disciple. Here's the test. It's not. The test is not. Did I come forward or raise my hand or say a prayer or, or, or sign that card? If the test is not were you baptized, do you, a member of the church, do you have a fish emblem on the back of your car? The, 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 the question is not, the test is not, did I have this, this existential kind of experience? All those things may, 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 be, may be fine. But if the word disciple means follower, I think you would agree with me that the test of whether or not you are a, a follower is the question, are you following? Because if you're not currently following Jesus, you're not a follower, right? The followers follow. That's what they do. And so whatever religious experience you may or may not have had in the past, if you're not following right now, you probably are not a disciple easy enough. Also, this helps us figure out what we're supposed to do because Jesus said, make disciples. He didn't say, and we're not supposed to necessarily, just go fill this room. I want to fill this room, don't you? That would be cool. Uh, we want to see more people come. Uh, but just fill in this room, and we can do stuff to fill the room if we need to. That's not what we were called to do. It's, it doesn't end there. might be a good starting place for some folk, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't even end if they come forward, say that prayer, sign the card, raise their hand. If that is their beginning, they're surrendering their life to Christ, they're coming in repentance, that's incredible. It starts there, but it doesn't end there. We still have to make disciples. It's, it's, a, it's a present thing. It continues to grow. Uh, therefore... How do we do this? What does a disciple look like? Well, we've looked at Old Testament, New Testament. We've, we, we traced it down to four main categories. If you look at the followers of Jesus, first we call it the L4 followership. It's just a man-made deal. It just helps us remember. But we know that the first one is disciples learn from Jesus. 
that Jesus is a rabbi. If initially you followed him to learn from him. That's what you wanted to do. What's his take on the world? How's he see things? I want to learn. That's what a disciple, they want to learn from Jesus. Second of all, they want to live as Jesus. It's not just a head thing. It kind of changes their whole life. That's going to be talked about next week. Third thing is that they love as Jesus. They recognize Jesus did not call us to come to a crowd. He called us to community. If you weren't here last week, grab that, that CD. And then fourthly, a, a disciple leads to Jesus. Now, this is what we're going to do. Got that? Uh, you're going to pretend like the person next to you just asked you a question. What is a disciple? And your answer to them is going to be, duh. If you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. No, no, no. It's not going to be that, right? It's going it's to be. <laughs> is anyone awake? It, it is going to be a disciple. Four things. Learns from Jesus. I know it's up here, but the prepositions are not, so get this down. Learns from Jesus, lives for Jesus, loves as Jesus, and leads to Jesus. Okay, take just a second. The person next to you just asked you, what is a disciple? Answer them. Go. All right. A disciple leads to Jesus. You're in school, and you notice him. He's Obviously, he's had to be in your science class all semester. You've just noticed him, though, and you're recognizing that he's also, the same kid's also in your gym class. Matter of fact, he, he also shares your lunch hour because you've seen him at that table by himself in the corner. He's, no one ever talks to him. He doesn't talk to anybody. Kind of a loner kid, always wearing black and heavy metal T-shirts. And you're a little bit, you're not, not real, real sure. If anyone says anything to him, it's usually negative. He's the blunt end of, of jokes. But you begin to wonder. And you, you wonder, maybe I should, you know, when I pass him to go to the vending machines or something, maybe I should say hi. Maybe in gym class, I should like maneuver myself to get next to him, you know, when we're all kind of waiting for the, for the gym teacher to come in. And just ask him how he's doing on his science project. Maybe I need to ask him about you know, those, those groups he wears on his t-shirt. Never heard of them before. Is that like a U.S. group or is it a foreign deal? And, and tell me, why do you like their music and what have they, they done? And there's that thing going on at church, our youth retreat. I wonder if I should ask him for that. I mean, that'd be kind of wild. What, what if he just stared me down and, and didn't answer back? What if my friends saw me doing this? You know, I, I, But if you would have done that, maybe you would find out that this, this guy lives with his alcoholic dad. And his... His dad gets drunk every once in a while. When he does, it's just not pretty in, in their house. It was his dad's alcohol problem that put his mom in the hospital three years ago. And when she did get discharged, she stopped by the house, picked up his younger sister and left. And he hasn't seen her since. He just kind of wishes she would have taken him too. Uh, maybe, ladies, you get together with some other gals, your girlfriends, and you stop at that, that cafe on the corner. It's a regular thing for you guys. And you always get the same waitress, it seems. Uh, nice enough gal, but she does seem very, very tired. Well, well, one time when you guys are supposed to get together, the other gals didn't get the memo when you're sitting there by yourself. And after you're done fuming, you start noticing your waitress. And you wonder, does she have any friends I wonder to go out for coffee with ever? And, and I wonder if I asked her, like when she gets on her break, if she'd want to join me for a cup of coffee, if she would do that. And we've got that woman's thing going on at church, that, that one-day conference deal, I bet that she would probably appreciate that. Maybe I can even offer to pay for it. No, nah, no, nah, this is just too weird. But if, if you would do that, 
maybe you'd realize that the reason why she's so tired all the time is this is her second job because she's a bookkeeper at a thing downtown. But, but her husband, when he, he left, she's now left to be a mom and dad to three kids. And she's just doing everything she can to make ends meet. Doesn't have a lot of friends, but it's not because she's not a great gal. She just doesn't have any time for it. Maybe you notice Gus in the office. I mean, everybody notices Gus, right? No one hates Gus, but no one really likes Gus either. He's just loud, earthy guy. As you go by his, his cubicle, it's obviously he's a, he's a Steelers fan. You see him go out for lunch every once in a while. What's funny about that? <laughs> Around here, everybody's a Steelers fan. Unless you're Mike and you're a Browns fan. But, but I digress. But you notice the Gus goes out for lunch every day by himself. And he always goes to like Taco Bell or McDonald's because he comes back with that big 96-ounce Diet Coke thing and a little ketchup on his chin. But you wonder, maybe, I wonder what he would do if I asked him if I could go out for lunch with him. And maybe I could talk to him about the Steelers. You know, hey, is Palomalo really going to retire? And that rumor they had about trading Big Ben with it, you think that was real? And what... By the way, my brother-in-law has season tickets and has told me if I ever need them, I wonder what Gus would do if I invited him to a game. Nah. But if you would, you might find out that Gus is on the verge of bankruptcy because he's trying to take care of his elderly mom in the home and his adult boy in rehab and that his wife was just diagnosed with the rare cancer. And you might realize that, you know, Gus used to go to church all the time. He was really into it until that thing happened when he was in high school with the youth leader. And he just has not been back since. 2014, I'm convinced that God is going to bring across my path and your path incredible opportunities cleverly disguised. Maybe disguised as a loner kid, as a harried waitress, as a Gus a loudmouth, jerky guy. But God has brought him through. And if I can use, speak of God this way, God is hoping that you and I will see them as Jesus does because a disciple leads to Jesus. If you've got your Bibles, would you look with me? Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Just a, a neat, neat story. Mark chapter 2. Beginning in verse 13. It says, Once again Jesus went outside beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. He taught these guys because disciples want to learn from Jesus, right? So he's teaching them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Aphias, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told them. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, Jesus is just leaving Capernaum, okay, north of the Sea of Galilee. He's way up there at the top. And, and if, we don't know exactly where this is, but if Jesus would have gone west just a little bit, there is a road there that's the main thoroughfare, actually. If you would go up your map, you go up around the Mediterranean, you're going to hang a right, go across Asia Minor. That road goes all the way to Rome. And if you go south, it goes down to Egypt. This is the main road between Rome and Egypt, land road. This is a huge thing. And this is a perfect road for a, for a Roman toll booth. Where, where you can set up a toll booth, Roman tax gatherers, and any uh, person that comes through, you, you tax. Any uh, herd of, uh, head of, head of 
animal stock, you, you, you tax. Their wagons, you tax. Their goods, you tax. Anybody in your party, you can tax. And you can know that Levi's not just standing there by himself. He's got a handful of people with him, probably a handful of Roman guards in case anybody objects to the exact amount of money that, that Levi is going to ask of them. And so you've got to ask yourself, how do Jesus' disciples probably see this Levi guy? Especially when you, when you back up a little bit and you think, now this Levi guy, we're going to find out, is Jewish. And, and, but, but he is unclean, big time. He's unclean politically. He has aligned himself with Rome. Now, you know, Israel, God's people, are conquered right now. The conqueror, the Romans... And Levi looked at this and said, I don't want to be a part of the losers, I don't want to be part of the winners. And so he changed allegiances and he's actually working for Israel's enemies. He's, he is helping, helping Rome come down and oppress Israel, who, who stands for Jehovah God and all the covenants of God. And, and, and Levi is spitting in the face of God here. If you're a good Jewish guy, what are you thinking of Levi? He's unclean um, ceremonially because the law would say that you cannot associate with people who don't love God. That they are unclean. Well, Levi's job is to associate with people who don't love God. He's unclean ceremonially. He's also unclean morally because you can't be a tax gatherer at this point in history and not be dishonest and not threaten and not be mean and not cheat. This is just who this guy is. And so when Jesus' disciples walk by and they see this guy sitting there in his nice silks, knowing that the, the road to his little castle with all of his fine things is, is paved with the, with the lives of Jewish men and women and children, man, they see this guy and they, their blood has to boil. They're seeing red. They're getting sick just looking at this guy. And Jesus, though, when he sees Levi, what does he see? He doesn't deny sin. Jesus doesn't deny. It doesn't be nice if he denied our sin, maybe. He doesn't deny my sin. He doesn't deny your sin. He doesn't deny this guy's sin. But Jesus realizes that if this guy would follow me, be my disciple, this guy would be a gift from the Lord. That's what the name Matthew means, gift from the Lord. This is Matthew, the other synoptics let us know. This is going to be the guy that writes the first gospel in the New Testament. This is going to be the guy that that leads the church. This is going to be the guy that ultimately will die a martyr's death for his faith. Jesus knows. He sees past the disguise, and he realizes who this guy could be if he follows Jesus loves this guy. Now, now, when you see your people, what do you see? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating what he does next. It's just, it, really, it really is fascinating. Uh, verse 15. While Jesus was having a dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, um, John R.W. Stott tells us about this passage, that the emphasis here is not on the conversion of Matthew, it's on the sequel, it's it's on this, it's on what happens next. And I love this, because it's like you're watching a movie, in the first scene you see Jesus going to this text booth, and there's there's Levi, and he's cocky and arrogant, and Jesus says, come, and and he goes, he just says, hang out guys, I'll be back in a few minutes, I've got some business to take care of, and he leaves, that's scene one. 
Next scene, just cut away. You're at Matthew's house, and he's having a dinner party. He's got all kinds of folk there, and Jesus is there. And the language is this, they're not having a Bible study. They're having a party. They're enjoying themselves. And Matthew, what he knows is he, he might not have his apologetics down. He might not have all the fine understandings of theology. He might have some questions himself, but he knows this, that these guys that he's invited to the party have an emptiness in their heart that they don't even know of. Their, their values and the things they are living for and the things they are going after are, are, are shallow. They don't even know it because he was there two weeks ago. He didn't know about it either. Uh, these are the folk who he'd get together with and they would mock the people who went to the temple and they would mock those people who believed in those mythological stories in the Torah, God's word, oh yeah. They, they would entertain themselves with stories of hypocrisy of, of the Pharisees. They just had nothing to do with the church, as it were, and the church had nothing to do with them. There's huge antagonism. But, but Levi realizes that Jesus is the real deal here. I mean, this really is the Son of God. And he's given me a freedom and a forgiveness and, oh man, life. And he knows his friends. And he maybe doesn't have all the right answers. Sometimes we don't share with anybody because they might ask me about something. They don't know the answer. He doesn't have the answers. He just says, I just got to get these guys together with Jesus. They just got to get together. They just got to meet Jesus. And so he throws this party and he's got other tax gatherers there and no doubt prostitutes there and, and people of ill repute there and hitmen there and Steelers fans there. And he has all these... <laughs> Just seeing if you're awake. <laughs> Folk there. And Jesus is there. And I'm, I'm thinking he's got some followers, some Jew, good Jewish boy followers at this point. And they're in the party with him. I can just imagine them. These guys who, I mean, all these people at the party, they were on Jesus' followers' dartboard at home, you know. And they are sitting right with these guys. And they're going, <laughs> yeah, I can't believe where I'm at. <laughs> and Jesus is just having a good old time. He's loving these guys. He's this is this is fine. This is good. Because Matthew knows that a disciple leads to Jesus. And you see that you really see this all over all over Scripture. In John chapter one, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did, very first thing, was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that's the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, the very first thing he did. Then Jesus is going to lead uh, Philip to the Lord. Next verse. But then Philip finds Nathaniel, his friend, and tells him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel asks him, Nazareth? Can any good thing come from there? And Philip says, come and see. I mean, basically Nathaniel's got a good question. Wait a minute, the Messiah's not supposed to come from Nazareth. He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. He's supposed to come from Bethlehem. What's the deal with Nazareth? And I love this. Philip didn't say, well, you see, you understand he was actually born there, but then Herod and stuff, and so he had to leave. He, he might not even know. He said, yeah, that's a good question. I don't have the answer to that question. That's right. Just come and see. Listen, just come and see. I don't, under, I, I don't understand everything. Just come and see. Sometimes when we invite and we pour into folk and we share, we don't have to have all the answers. Yeah, you're, that's a good question. I don't know. Just, 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 I'm just telling you what he did in my life. Just, just come and see. In Acts chapter 9, remember the Apostle Paul? Apostle Paul is the, the uh, Christian hunter. 
He's of the uh, elite, he's sophisticated, he's Ivy League, he, he is upwardly mobile. He's got a mission, and that is to wipe out this cult Christianity. That's his goal. In Acts chapter 9, he's going to a town to wipe out a bunch of the Christians. And en route, he has an encounter with Jesus. And the first thing, look what it says, first time, as soon as he gets on his feet, it says, so he began to preach in the synagogues, that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, this was an immediate thing. In, in John chapter 4, we're going on. John chapter 4, you've got this woman, right? She's hanging with Jesus. And when she realizes who he is and what he's about, look what this gal does. It says, and leaving her water jar, which she was making haste here, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Disciples lead other people to Jesus. They just do. They just do. Now, if you've been a believer any amount of time, according to statistics, if you've been a believer two years, you don't have any other, zero non-Christian friends, close friends. You have none. none. And we can see where this happens. We get so involved in all this stuff here, and that's great. But we let the other relationships go by the ways inside. The other ones can be messy, sometimes difficult. We just let them go. So we don't have that kind of influence anymore. You say, well, why is a disciple one who leads people to Jesus? I mean, what really compels them? Second Kings 7, just real quick. This is a cool story. Um, there was probably 930, I think, there was a civil war in Israel. They had a north Israel and a south Israel. Capital of the north is a place called Samaria. Well, around 850-ish, the city is, is under siege. The capital, Samaria, is under siege by the Arameans. And, and what they, they did, instead of trying to storm the, the, the city, because they had these huge walls around the city, they would get arrows shut down on them and hot oil and all kinds of stuff, and so they didn't want to do that. That wasn't looking good. So they just put their army completely around the city and just waited. No food could get in. No supplies could get in. No water could get in. And sooner or later, the people inside would, would be uh, starving and, and decide to just give up. So this was, this was the strategy. Push back about a quarter mile, half a mile. Well, in, in 2 Kings 7, that's what's going on. But just outside the, 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 the gates of the city, they're not inside the city, are four lepers. They're not really allowed to get in because they're lepers. They're contagious. Uh, so they're staring inside the city thinking that's not looking good. And they're looking at the Aramean army thinking that's not looking good either. What's going on in the city, by the way, is uh, death, starvation. According to the text, the parents are eating their own children. I mean, things are getting really, really, really bad. But in Second Kings 7, these, these lepers come up with a plan. They look, assess their situation. Second Kings 7, verse 3. It says, now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we're going to go into the city, well, there are the famines there. You know, they're all eating each other. That's not a good thing to do. And if we, we will die there. And if we stay here, we're going to die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. And if they kill us, you know, we're going to die anyway. So let's just go that route. At least there's a chance that way. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. 
For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. By the way, this is a large camp. This surrounds all of Samaria. This is a big, there's a lot of stuff here. Well, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver and gold and clothes, and they went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. These lepers are thinking, man, this is great. We just got to Disney World, and there's no lines, you know, and there's no cost to get in, and it's just us, and anything we want is free. And these guys who hadn't been inside in years are hanging out in these tents on these big cushy pillows eating the food, and they're thinking, this is, this is great. Then they start thinking about it. In verse 9, they say, they, they said to one another, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. They know that their kinsmen hanging out in Samaria, there's fear there, there's panic there, there there's death there. And they have understood, they have found incredible, incredible freedom, incredible life. And they're going to sit there and let their kinsmen go through their suffering and pain and fear. And Every one of us here this morning, if you know Christ, you are here because somebody reached out to you. Whether it was a Sunday school teacher who didn't have to be doing what they did. They have, other, they have a life they have to live. They have other issues, but they were preparing to do that for you. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was somebody f- from work. Somewhere, somebody reached out to you because they realize this principle. Man, I, look what God has given me. How can I not do this? Good friends back, back home. Man, they were, they were living wild. I mean, her, she'll tell you in her, her story. And you can Google it. Uh, Jim, and, and, uh, Jim and Lisa Shunky. And her, they got a Vimeo story. But she says that she, her view of marriage was the bigger the rock, the better their marriage. That's the way it should be. And they collected stuff. And they had a lot of stuff. Until one day their life crashed. And as they both met Christ independently, they were separated. Uh, when they started putting things back together, they looked at all their toys and all the stuff that they were living for. And they said, you know what, this is just not, not it. Um, this is just not what it's about. They, they trashed it all, sold it all, left it all. They're in El Salvador now as, as missionaries. But neat. And they, they just recognized Something that nobody could really understand until you realize what he's done in your life. And they'll tell you, for us, what he did in our lives and opening our eyes. How could we not tell other people? How could we not do that? Uh, it's fascinating, amazing stuff. Back in Mark chapter 2. Uh, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners. Ah! Now we're going to get some, the sparks are going to start to fly, right? Because the Pharisees were kind of intrigued with Jesus a little bit, so they kept an eye on him. Well, they watched Jesus go into this house with all these prostitutes and tax gatherers and wild people, and they hear laughter and stuff coming out of the house. They're thinking, whoa, what's going on here, man? Talk about an appearance of evil. Whoa, what's this not looking good? And so they, they saw him they, having dinner with these folks. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, 
but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Real important that we keep in mind, the people in the house with Matthew were no more lost than the Pharisees. Difference is the people in the house recognized they were lost. They knew they were. They knew they were. The Pharisee folk thought they're fine. This is like this. Jesus is saying, I'm a doctor. And you folk over here who think you're healthy, you're never going to come see me. Well, I've got nothing for you. My job is for people who recognize they're, they're sick, who, who, who need something, who come to me. And he says, I have come to call them. This is why I came. You guys don't understand. My, my life is not all about being in the temple and going through all your, your pharisaical hoops and stuff. My life is here. This is why I've come. Likewise, as disciples, this is why we're, we're here. This is what we're about. We say, well, how in the world do we do this? This is not too easy. Too, too easy. One of the things we like to do, I think, sometimes as believers, the way we, when we work up guts is we like make a, a paper airplane out of a track. You know, we just kind of, just to see. Maybe they won't know where it came from, but maybe they'll read it kind of, and then they'll come get to know Christ and everything will be, be wonderful. But this is a strategy we want to employ here, though. We're not going to go down that road. We're going to employ a strategy called invest and invite. Invest and invite. Uh, right when I got out of Moody, I, I remember I worked at a fish, I was a fishmonger, believe it or not. I cut up, uh, it was fresh seafood, white fish, shark, halibut. You want a, a red snapper bone for stuffing, I'm your man. We would do all those kind of things. And I had all these, this team of, of, of pagans that I was working with, and I thought, this is great, man. I'm going to take these guys, I'm going to show them. Well, I was falling on my face, nothing. And after another embarrassing time, I, I sat down and I said, well, maybe, Lord, okay, I'm just supposed to pray for these guys. Duh, right? But I didn't get it. So I, 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 I decided I'm just going to pray for them. I'm just going to do my job. And if you open up something, that's great. I was there less than a year. But at that point, by the time I left, every one of those guys, and it was, it was a wild, wild group of folk, but every one of those guys... We had had incredible conversations about Christ, about their own life, neat stuff. Investing in somebody, first thing to do. Don't worry about it, i got to go share the four, four laws with them. That's not a bad thing, but first thing you should do is be praying for them. Because the person is not our project that we, gotta ha- we have to go do this so we can check something off on a list to say we're a godly person because that's what, that's what disciples do, so we might as well do this. Uh, pray for the person, and as you do, Try to get into their heart a little bit. What, what, what makes them tick? Care for them. Any sharing that we do, any, 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 should come out of a heart that cares for them. Not out of a legalistic, I just need to get this done because this is what good Christian people do. Uh, uh, worry about serving and, and loving them. Where I'm just going to serve this guy. I'm just going to treat him decent. I'm just going to befriend. I'm just going to be kind. You know, there are people that Jesus healed and he never even preached to them. He just healed them. It's okay to just love people sometimes. With no agenda, I'm not trying to get you anywhere, get you, I just want to love you. I just want to serve you. I just recognize your, your worth and your, your, your value. Uh, invest in the relationship. And then after you've invested in the relationship, and if things work their way out, invite Great example. Reggie Hodges is going to be here February 9th. You might say, I know somebody who's really into football. Matter of fact, they're really into the Browns. And 
they might not go to church. They'd be offended maybe if I asked them to church. But you know what? They wouldn't if I told them, hey, this guy, I don't know if he's any good or not. I've never heard him, but he's coming to our church and he punted for the Browns. And maybe I just want to let you know you might want to come check him out. There are things that we'll be doing throughout the week. We, we, we do. I mean, Christmas Eve and Easter, huge. Not necessarily for us church folk all the time, just so you know that. It's designed for us to invite because that's a great invite time. We live in a very traditional area where inviting someone to church may not be real offensive to them. They're just all, that's kind of the mindset. That's okay. There are series that we will do that are more apropos than others, usually right after Easter, usually in, in uh, the beginning of the fall. It's at times people go back to church, and so we'll have series that are more uh, open for that. But you need to know this, that it's not really about what's going on in here. We want to do the best we can do so we don't embarrass anybody and embarrass ourselves. But it's about what's going on in here. Because you don't know what God has been doing. I mean, I think God loves those people more than we do. And he's been already working in their heart. So many times when I was back, back home, I saw, I saw a lot of people come to know, know Christ back, back in Wisconsin. But the number one thing that did it, this is amazing to me, was the worship. I mean, we, and this makes sense, doesn't it? Because we were all wired to worship. That's why he, he made us as worshipers. But we just don't know it until we get into a place and we see it and we hear it and we go, it's like it stirs a call of the wild, spiritual call of the wild thing. And we're going, wow, this is interesting. What is that about? And it was really the, the pull. To get, our job is not to have to save anybody. Well, it, the Holy Spirit do that. Our job is... is to invite. Now, there are different ways we can invite. You get the uh, invite card in your bulletin. We'll be doing that throughout the year. We've been doing that. And that's a great opportunity. But there's a second way. You can check out the, the uh, slides. We just came up with this. If you go to the webpage, you go to the very top right-hand corner, invite. Click on it. It will take you to such a page. You pick the event you want to invite to. You then go and say, okay, I want to send this as an email to somebody. You can click that. It takes you to another page and you fill in. You've got to know your friend's email address. But you fill that in. You fill in a note. Hey, Reggie Hodges is coming. Maybe you want to come with me. Just check it out. That's cool. You hit send. And it sends this electronic e- invite to this guy. And they're, they're done well. They look good. And the guy will see this. And, oh, well, maybe. And how much easier can it get, right? <laughs> this year... Let's take advantage of that. Oh, man, let's take advantage. You know, I, I am not, and if you know me, I am not a, a doomsday prophet person. I think it's wrong to be setting dates and times of when Jesus is coming back and all that kind of stuff. But I do know, do know two things. First of all, John 9, Jesus says, well, work while it's daylight because the night is coming when no man can work. In, in other words, you know what? We won't have the opportunities. There'll be a day we don't have those opportunities we have now. Can you imagine if you came back today? I mean, it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah. But then, again, I, I don't think this could be so, but play this out in my mind. Is it possible that you would say, oh, I wish I would have, if I knew he was, I could have invited so-and-so. If I just knew it was going to be, I thought I had more time. There'll be a day when there's no more time. Then in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus' followers said, hey, Jesus, when's the end times, man? And Jesus listed a bunch of stuff. And I'm sure stuff that's always been going on in the history of the world. But if you were to read that, it's like reading the headlines today. I mean, just the sign stuff coming at us with more ferocity and more velocity. And uh, I don't know, but I know this. We don't have time to be messing around with secondary debates. We need to ratchet up the evangelistic fervor in this place for the next 
three years or so to burn brighter than we have ever, ever burned. As we stay on the shoulders of the past, as we look to the future, which who knows how long it will be, but, but we are going to make disciples this year. So let me, let me back for a second. This year, 2014, God will put in your path people cleverly disguised. Opportunities. Matthews, maybe, but they don't know they're Matthews yet. Folk who just don't know Jesus yet. Whatever's happened in their past, they don't know. When you think about your life, any names, any pictures pop into your mind? It's not everybody. Jesus didn't hit every single tax gatherer. It's not everybody, but they're certain that the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind. Because disciples lead to Jesus.